of self. You only have to control the self when self is a big deal. Steve laughed. But your long-haired self was an extremely big deal, if I'm not mistaken. Or is there some fine point of logic I'm not understanding? Good point, Steve. You've got me there, I grinned. I'll have to think about that. Almost a minute passed. Well, you're right, of course, and theoretically it should not matter how I look. I should not have made my mother unhappy. That was selfish of me. And I should have... Hell, I don't know how I could have done it any differently. I'm not enlightened, you see. I'm nowhere near. I'm nowhere near even being able to say I'm nowhere near. I may never get anywhere. So I do my best to let go of self when that sense of self would exist purely to be embattled against something where there doesn't need to be a battle. So my hair is part of my creative life as a bluesman. And that's something that would affect you when you're on stage with me. Yeah, I can see that. That does make sense. But more than that, it's part of my sense of appreciation. And so I need to be able to let my appreciation expand. And anyway, how would you and Ron like a vocalist with a short back and sides? Jesus, no, that would ruin our image completely. No one would take us seriously if you look like a squaddy. Exactly. So this self thing, it's a knotty problem in terms of my understanding of Buddhism. And there, word, words failed me. You see, because I'm still trying to make lack of self fit with compassion, because compassion includes everyone and everything everywhere, and that includes me, whatever that might be, and compassion is also appreciation. So I can't just brutalise myself, because that would be the selfless thing to do. That wouldn't be good for my father in the long run. All I'd do then would be to help him make me miserable and spoil things for you and Ron and Savage Cabbage. Yeah, I can see that too. But what have compassion and appreciation got to do with each other? Well, compassion, in the Buddhist sense, can't be divided from appreciation, or from love, desire, passion and lust. That makes compassion sound a lot more interesting than religion usually makes it. Not that I'd like to be uncompassionate, but it's always seemed a bit too holy for me. Exactly, Steve. Compassion is massively appreciative rather than being holy. And you know me, I'm not 
exactly holy, am I? Steve chuckled at this. Not exactly, no. I can't see you being holy where Annal is concerned. So it's just as well there's lust involved with Buddhist compassion. Well, it's not exactly lust as we usually understand it. It's the... It's lust without labels. Lust without any idea of dividing lines between the one who's lusting and what is being lusted after. It's when everything is happening simultaneously and there's no observer in your head watching it all and making a documentary out of it. It's extremely hard to explain. But anyway, that's why it's such a knotty problem for me when that runs into not taking my mother into consideration when I was prepared to leave home. You didn't think about what she was feeling at all, Steve asked in a slightly horrified voice. Yes, I did, Steve. That was what was extremely difficult about it. It was painful, but there seemed no choice. I mean, even if I'd backed down, it would have pained my mother to see me unhappy. More than that, my mother and father would have had rounds about it. I thought of all of that when I made my choice. You see, I haven't quite found an answer yet in terms of how to act for the best in every situation. But I will find an answer one day. I just have to keep sitting and it'll come to me. Steve looked quizzical. So how does the lack of self work with it being all right not to be able to have conversations with your father? Isn't that horrible? No, it's just what it is. You see, my father is empty, as far as I can see, of anything that would interest me. He has been to India and China and I have asked him about that, but he has nothing interesting to say about it. He does tell stories, but they're all about army life and the complex problems he had dealing with people who couldn't complete work on time. He never explored Indian or Chinese culture, so questions got nowhere. Anyway, we don't have conversations when my father's around. He talks and expects us to listen. But that's no problem to me. I can just sit and listen. There's no need to say anything. And, you know, as long as he leaves my appearance alone, it's actually perfect. Perfect, Steve spluttered. Yes. Perfect. My mother's happy now, especially as I'm always polite to my father. I always defer to his opinion. I can let him rant on about hanging and flogging and the evils of communism and glories of the British Empire and everything else. So you just agree with him? Yes, or at least 
I appear to agree with him. I don't really agree with him, but as I can't change him by disagreeing with him, there's nothing to be gained by it. So it's perfect. It's also perfect because I don't have to cut my hair again, ever. And now I wear what I like. And what more could I want? I can talk with you. I can talk with my brother Graham. I can talk with my mother. And I can talk enough with your parents. Your father and mother are brilliant. And so I don't think I miss out on anything. I get to talk with Mr Priest, the English teacher on the way to school. And, well, it's all fine. It's fine that Annalie's gone back to Switzerland. No, Steve. Fine is what it's not. But, yeah, I know what you mean. I sighed. I'm in a ridiculous situation now, and really, I should have known all along that I'd end up in a ludicrous situation. What's ludicrous about it? You had a fantastic clear run and came through without being caught. I think that's totally brilliant. Yes, if you look at it like that. But that's not what I'm saying. My situation is ridiculous because I've turned into Doctor Who. I've time travelled into my own future, or what might be my own future. I've had two years of completely adult relationship with Annalie, and now I'm back in the present with an adjectival time machine. Oh, right. Yeah, I see. But at least you've time travelled. You should be grateful. I'd swap lives with you any day. With my father and a stammer? All right, point taken. But I think you need to be grateful for the good time you had. Yes, Steve, I am. I know what you mean. I am grateful. I'm enormously grateful. But I'm also quite sad, you know. Yes, I could understand that. I think I'd be sad too. But as I said, at least your father never caught up with you on that. He'd have hit the ceiling. That made me grin. Difficult at his height, weight and age, Steve. Steve howled with laughter. And when he'd got over it, I continued, but, you know, I have the feeling that my father could have coped with it. My mother certainly would have coped with it, and my father might even have been relieved to have definite proof that I'm not homosexual. What? Steve exclaimed, staring in disbelief. Didn't I ever tell you about that? Steve shook his head. No, I mean, how? Because I hate sport and because I'm artistic, I write poetry and preferred the company of girls when I was young. Yeah, really, 
that makes a lot of sense. That does, Steve laughed. I've never heard that liking girls makes you a homosexual. As Hamlet said, therefore, as a stranger, give it welcome. There are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your philosophy. So, although his suspicions were something I found uncomfortable, they did at least make it less likely that he'd ever suspect me of having a 22-year-old Swiss girlfriend. Very funny, but seriously, that's the looniest thing I ever heard. The funniest thing is actually the fact that our being such good friends put his mind at ease. I mean, we could have been sodomising each other senseless for all he knew. Bugger if that appeals to me, Steve laughed. Quite so. Of course, there were other things that my father suspected. Such as? such as my having some kind of mental condition on the basis that he sometimes found me meditating. Of course, what he saw was me sitting there motionless. Did you have to do that when he was around? I mean, couldn't you have been more secretive about it? I tried, you know. I'd only ever meditate in my bedroom, but he had a habit of walking into my bedroom unexpectedly and asking me why I was sitting on the floor doing nothing. Of course, I tried to explain that I was doing something, but that it involved keeping still. I tried to keep it simple and strictly non-Eastern. How the hell did you manage that? Steve asked with an incredulity. Well, that wasn't so hard. I just told him it was a method of mental discipline that I learned from a book by Rear Admiral E.H. Shattuck. And he believed that. I showed him the book cover and he seemed satisfied because he saw the title and the author's name. My father knew his name because he spent a lot of time in the army out east. He said that the name was often quoted in news reports concerning the progress of the war. So my father, being in China as well as India, was quite familiar with his high reputation. Lucky coincidence, eh? Exactly. So, did you plan it like that? No, I laughed. That would have been a brilliant move, but I'm not that clever. The book was called An Experiment in Mindfulness and I read a review which described the book as an excellent meditation manual that anyone could follow. Nothing more to it than that. I told him he could read it if he wanted to know more, but he said it was acceptable being that it was written by the illustrious Rear Admiral E.H. Shattuck. It did seem to bewilder him a little that a Rear Admiral would advocate sitting in silence for periods of time, but concluded that there was something scientific about it. Anyhow, I was the sort of dyed-in-the-wool eccentric who'd be attracted to something like that. I suggested that it would help me concentrate at school, 
and so he felt that it couldn't do any harm as long as I didn't do too much of it. So he was all right about it in the end, more or less. But he'd always ask, how long have you been sitting there? And I'd have to say, oh, not long, no more than five minutes. Then he'd say, well, that's probably long enough. And I'd have to stand up and do something different. Then I'd usually take a walk and sit in the woods. How long do you sit now, as a matter of interest? Oh, about half an hour a day on average. Longer if I can manage. Sometimes an hour, but not at home.